All right, well, good to be with you guys this morning. My name's Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City Church. Excited to uh, open God's Word with you guys again this morning. We've been uh, going through the book of Ephesians for uh, the last couple of weeks here. And uh, today we're going to actually be finishing up the first half of the book of Ephesians, kind of wrapping up chapter 3 here. Uh, And this morning our, our passage really deals with the idea of prayer. Uh, this is actually the, the second kind of recorded prayer in the book of Ephesians that Paul, the writer of the letter, is that he is praying for this group of people. And so I thought like it'd be just wise for us to kind of just take a closer look at not just what the passage says, but about like what it, what it looks like to pray and why the Apostle Paul prays the way that he does. I think uh, when we think about prayer, it's kind of like a, it feels like a mysterious kind of thing, doesn't it, a little bit? Like, um, it's like, how does prayer work? You just kind of ask God for stuff, and then it happens. Sometimes it feels like it works. Sometimes it feels like it doesn't work. Is there like a certain way you're supposed to pray? Like, do you need to be kneeling or standing or like somehow awkwardly sitting on your side? Or like... Um, is, is there like a list of things you're supposed to pray about and we just forget about that and we just do something else? Are there good things to pray about? Are there bad things to pray about? Like, why do we always say amen at the end of praying, right? Like, it kind of feels like this, a little bit of a mysterious kind of thing, right? Um, I think there is just like a million ways to think about prayer and look at prayer, but um, for us this morning, we're going to take a look at our passage in Ephesians chapter 3 and see what we can learn about how the Apostle Paul prays and um, see what that looks like for us as we think about how we talk with God. And uh, yeah, so uh, let me pray, and uh, we'll dive into a talk about prayer. It's like inceptioning prayer this morning, right? So (laughs) let's pray. God, thanks so much that you hear us. Uh, Thanks that you are a God who listens, who responds. God, I'm just like grateful that like you are not far off and distant. You are not like off in some other place, like where we have to like call long distance to get to you, but... Um, yeah, God, I'm just thankful that your father who loves us and you want us to talk to you as your kids, I'm just like grateful that like we don't need fast, fancy language or like super well-worded prayers, but like you just want to hear from us. And uh, so God, I just, we just ask this morning that you as a good father, that you would speak back to us as we uh, listen to your word, as we hear it, as we respond to it. And, and so I pray that God, you just would fill me with your spirit so that I might have anything valuable to offer us this morning. I just like pray that you would make much of yourself in our time in your word this morning. So pray these things in your good name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to read our passage in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, and uh, we'll go from there. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14, says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Not a him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 
Well, again, this morning we're talking about prayer. Is that an exhaustive study, right? Um, but we'll see what we can't learn about it from taking a look at this passage in, uh, in chapter 3. So I think the first question is like, what is prayer, right? And I think, just like to boil it down most simply, it seems like the passage just talks about prayer as talking to your father. I think uh, who we pray to really matters, and an understanding of who we're praying to matters, right? Like, we're not just like praying to some ethereal force in the world, right? It's not like we're hoping to like somehow like gain the special abilities to manipulate the mitochondrians and affect the world around us, right? There's not like some kind of like uh, just force God that's out there. Rather, the Bible says that like there is a God who's in charge of all things who is a father, He's not far off. He's not distant. He's not like some capricious, like all-powerful being. It says that God is a father. I think like the way you talk to your dad is different than like the way you talk to a boss. It's different than the way you talk to like a master. It's different than the way you talk to your spouse. Like the way you talk with a father is different, right? I, I love when my daughter Emma comes and talks to me, which she does a lot. Um, <laughs> Sometimes Emma comes and asks me for things, right? Sometimes she just asks for a snuggle. Sometimes she has to go potty. That's oftentimes too late, but that's besides the point, right? Uh, sometimes she asks me for a snack, which is usually a cookie of some short or variety, right? And a lot of the time she asks me, what is that? I think the phrase I hear like seven trillion times a day is, what that be, Papa? You know, like every three seconds. What's that? What's that, right? So she's curious and she wants to know, right? Sometimes she's not asking for anything. Sometimes she just comes and talks to me. She wants to show me something that she made. Sometimes uh, she has uh, heavy quotes on this injury, right? Well, which needs a, a miraculous kiss in order to heal it, right? Sometimes she just likes talking to me. Like she just comes up and just starts talking to me about like whatever it is. She wants to show me something she has or she just, she just wants to talk with me, right? Sometimes she likes to talk to me too much, right? <laughs> and I'm not a perfect dad, so sometimes I get overwhelmed by that, right? But God is a perfect father. It's just like so important that like, I just wanna, just it's really important that we clarify that, right? Like God is not a father like all of our fathers are, no matter how good or bad they are, right? God is the perfect kind of father who loves perfectly cares for perfectly, is perfectly patient, is perfectly loving. Like, that's the kind of dad that all of us desperately want, and that's the kind of father that God is to us. So the question is, like, what if, so if prayer is talking with our dad, is talking with our father, then, like, what is that father like? Because that, that changes stuff, right? Well, the passage seems to talk about God in, in a couple of ways. And first, I think it says that God is rich, and that he is incredibly generous. Verse 16 says, it's out of God's riches that he gives power and that he gives love, right? Um, the ESV translation translates it um, according to God's riches, which I think is just a little bit more helpful than out of his riches, right? If, you are a if I'm a billionaire and I give you $10, then I've given you something out of my riches, right? But if I'm a billionaire and I give you a million dollars, then I've given you according to my riches, right? The first one is a portion of what I have. 
The second is in proportion to what I have, right? God is like an incredibly rich father, and he is an incredibly generous father as well. He doesn't just like give a few cents off the table, right? But he's a God who loves to give with abundance towards us. Paul in the passage seems like he has like 0% doubt that God has an inexhaustible amount of resources with which to bless his people, right? So God is rich and he is generous. Secondly, the passage seems to be real clear that like God actually loves us, right? Like we aren't just like some like annoying munchkins running around that he's just trying to get rid of or that he's bothered by. The passage seems to talk about like God's love for us as like immeasurably unknowable how, how big it is. Verses 18 and 19, Paul is asking, he says, he prays that they would have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. He's like, Paul is asking that God would show them like the bigness of his love. One commentator says this, the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all of mankind, especially Jews and Gentiles, the theme of of much of the last few chapters that we've been talking about, right? It's long enough to last for eternity. It's deep enough to reach even the worst of sinners, and it is high enough to exalt them even unto God. See, God is a good father who is incredibly rich and generous and who actually loves his kids. Like who really, really loves his kids. Matthew 7 talks about this, talks about it this way. He says, the apostle, uh, Matthew's writing here and he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Like in all of our sinfulness and all of our brokenness as parents, if we know how to, if we know how to, and if we long to give good gifts to our kids, how much more does God, who is a perfect father, know how to give the best kinds of gifts of all? So God is rich, He is generous, He loves us, and lastly, He can do something about it. Like He's able to respond to our requests, right? I think it doesn't really get a whole lot more clear than verse 20, right? right? For him who is now able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. The ESV translates it far more abundantly than all we can ask or even think of. So let me just like, let's just break it down, right? Like, cause that's like a, a, like a run on, like that's a lot of descriptor words, right? Talking about what God is able to do, right? First, he's able to respond, right? Because God is not idle, he is not inactive, and he is certainly not dead. And he's not just able to respond, he's able to do what we ask him to do because he hears us and he knows us and he actually listens. Like that is an incredible honor and privilege, right? That like the God of the universe might listen to us, his people. And he's not only able to do what we ask him to do, he says he's able to do even what we think about, right? Because God not only can hear us, but he knows our thoughts and he knows our hearts. He knows our hopes, he knows our dreams, he knows our desires, which we often don't even ask him for. And he knows all of that and he's able to do all of it. For he's able to do all that we ask 
or think because he is capable of everything. And he's not just able to do all that we ask or think, he's able to more than all that we ask or think because his expectations are way bigger than our expectations. And the passage, finally, like the whole thing comes up and he says, he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or think. You cannot even dream big enough to, you can't dream bigger than what God can accomplish or do. Like you can't out-hope God. You can't out-dream him. Your desires can't be bigger than his. And if he's able to do what you can think of, imagine what he can do with what he thinks of. The God that we pray to is a God of super abundance. He has exponentially more than we could ever even dream to ask him for. See, we don't pray to a God who is impotent. We pray to a God who is the creator and ruler of all things. He is a gracious and loving and rich father who hears us and listens to us. You see, like, Paul is not begging God for anything in the passage. He's not like, God, if you would just, if I could just, I just need you to do this thing. If I would just do this, then maybe you would do this for me. No, he like, he's just talking to God like his father. And he says, God, I ask that you would do this. And he's confident that God can actually do what he's asking for. And so he doesn't need to like beg and plead for it. See, I think this is like super important for us to see. Like prayer is not, like super important. Prayer is not us trying to manipulate God, right? Prayer is not us trying to manipulate God. We're not trying to con God into like our will or our ideas or our way. Like we're not trying to like, oh, if I would just ask in like a really nice way, then maybe God would be like, oh, that is a good request. Yeah, let's do that then, right? I wasn't thinking about it before. Let, let's get on that team, right? Like, let's just be honest. If you can manipulate God, that is a pretty worthless God, Right? <laughs> If simple humans can manipulate the God of the universe, like that is a stupid God to follow then, right? Rather, I think um, God graciously involves us in his work and in his plans. Not because we deserve it, but because he longs to do it. There is this like, man, I was doing a lot of reading this week to like try to like be helpful in clarifying this. And I think one of the most helpful things I found was a quote from a guy named C.S. Lewis. Um, it says this, talking about God, right? He could, if he chose, repair our bodies miraculously without food or give us food without the aid of farmers or bakers or butchers or convert the lost without any missionaries. Instead, he allows soil and weather and animals and muscles and minds and the wills of men to cooperate in the execution of his will. God, said Pascal, institute prayer in order to lend us, his creatures, the dignity of causality our prayers have not advised or changed God's mind or his overall purpose, but that purpose will be realized in different ways according to the actions, including the prayers of his people. For it seems, for God seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. He allows us to neglect what he would have us to do or fail. Perhaps we do not fully realize the problem, so to call it, of enabling finite free wills to coexist with an omnipotent God. 
Like God is inviting us into his purposes. Prayer is not about us just like trying to get something out of God, but it's about God inviting us to be involved in how he works out his will. So let me just put it like this way. So Emma's, Emma asks to do stuff all the time. Like around every seven and a half seconds, there's a request to go to the park, right? Uh, and every eight and a half seconds, there's a cookie involved with that going to the park, right? But Emma's requests, they don't really influence the outcome of our day, right? They might influence like the way in which we go about things, but they don't like dramatically change what's going on, right? We might be at the store, we might make a side trip down the toy aisle, right? Or an extra cookie after lunch. But her decisions do not, her requests do not set the course, they do not set the direction, and they do not determine the outcome of our days and of our lives, right? But oftentimes they do change how we get to the end, right? Sometimes it's faster or slower. Sometimes there's an extra park trip in there, right? God is a father who is actively involved with his kids in his creation. And he has invited us to actually be a part of that when we pray. We ask him to work, we ask him to move, and God has given us as his people like, the dignity of actually listening and responding to us. See, I think the thing that's really important to understand when we think about what prayer is, is that prayer is primarily about bringing God's will into existence, not about bringing our own will into existence. One commentator writes this way, he says, we have no authority to pray for anything that God has not revealed to be his will. That's why the Bible reading, that's why reading the Bible and prayer should like almost always go together. For it's when we read God's word, we understand his heart and his desires. And it's in prayer that we ask him to do those things. John chapter 15 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything in accordance with his will, he hears us. Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord and he's going to give you the desires of your heart. He's just like, all those passages are not, whatever you want, God is the magic genie who will give it to you. But rather it says, line up your heart with God's desires. And when you pray, that's how you know that you'll have answers. See, prayer is not about bringing God's will in line with our desires. Prayer is about bringing our desires in line with God's desires. It's a, like a reorienting of our own hearts and our attention and our mind so that it would line up with who God is and what he longs for. God is not the magic genie whose existence is for our good and pleasure. Like, like a million times, even in just the first three chapters of Ephesians, um, the passage, the phrase that rings out is, it's for the praise of his glory. Unto his worship, for him, about him, unto him. So we as God's people are not really about us, we're actually about him. We exist for him, and our lives exist for the praise of his glory, Therefore, it would seem that our prayer should be like about that primarily. Now, like, I just like, 
want to temper that like in the light of like, Emma is not, like Emma's just like a little kid, right? <laughs> she relates with me as her dad differently than like I relate with my parents, right? Because like I'm 30 and like if I related with my parents like a two-year-old, that would be weird, right? <laughs> but I just like, it's not like we just need to be like, oh God, I'll just pray about holy things all the time and ask you for like things I read from the Bible, right? That's like, that's not what I mean, right? But what I do mean is that as we grow spiritually, right, it would seem that like what we should be longing for, what we, sh- what we should be asking God to do are things that aren't primarily about us, but things that are like increasingly about him and about like bringing his will and his purpose into existence and into being. As we grow up spiritually, like that should change the way that we talk with our father, right? Emma will talk with me differently when she's 20 than when she's two. That's good, right? So if God is a good father who loves us, who is incredibly gracious, who is rich and who is able to actually answer our prayers, then like what should we ask him for? Like what should we be asking him about, right? Well, um, if you look at the prayers of the Apostle Paul, right, which I did this week because I was like, there's a prayer in the chapter one of Ephesians and in chapter three, and there's a lot of similarities there. So I just looked at what are all the prayers that, that Paul's written? And it seems like there is like three things that are in like every single prayer that Paul writes. Like almost everyone has something to do with these three things. It has to do with the role of the Spirit of God, it has to do with the power of God, and it has to do with the love of God. Like the Spirit, the power of God, and the love of God, like those three themes are like in just about every single prayer that Paul writes in the New Testament. I think like there might be something for us to learn about that, right? So let's just, let's just talk about like what does this passage have to say about the role of the Spirit, and why does that seem to be like a theme that Paul just keeps coming to over and over again? Well, one, I think it's just because, like, we really need the Spirit of God. Like, the Bible talks about how Jesus needed the Spirit of God, that he was filled with the Spirit of God, and that's how he did all the things that he did. He didn't just, like, cheat because he was, like, half God and half man. Like, it says that he relinquished his authority as God, and rather, he functioned as a man, and so he was filled with the Spirit that he might live that way. The New Testament describes the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, the, the best way to understand how the New Testament thinks about that is thinking about the idea of a floodlight, right? And the role of the Spirit of God is to shine light on Jesus, right? It's to reveal him and show him to us that we might see who he is and that we might understand who he is and what he's like. You see, we understand God. Like everything about who God is is proven. It's shown. It's like exhaustively displayed in the person and work of Jesus. And so the role of the Spirit of God is to show us that. It's to highlight for us that we might see Jesus, that we might see who he is and all that he's done and that we would live in light of that, right? Sometimes I think what happens is that we just like forget who Jesus is. Like we forget who he is and all that he's done. 
And I think it has become dim to us. And so our ability to live in light of who he is is like really diminished. And so Paul here is asking that God might like illuminate Jesus to his people, that he might shine light on Jesus so that they would be different people because of it. The word that is most often associated with the role of the Spirit throughout all the prayers of Paul is the word power, right? And there's a connection between any kind of power that we have as people and the, and the Spirit of God. Those things are like always intertwined in almost every one of Paul's prayers. And specifically in our prayer this morning, Paul is asking that the Spirit of God would give them power so that Christ might dwell in their hearts through faith. So like, what is he asking for there, right? Paul is asking that the Spirit might like enable and empower them to actually have faith in Jesus, right? So Paul is writing here, we talked about the very first weeks, Paul's writing here to people who are already Christians, right? People who follow Jesus, people who have the Spirit of God living within them, right? So why is Paul saying like that I'm asking that God would cause Christ to dwell in your hearts, right? Well, I think that what's important to understand there is like the word dwell in the passage, right? It means to settle down and feel at home, right? When like you come to a hotel, right? Like we're in even now, like you kind of just like, you don't like move in. Like there's a dresser in the hotel, like, I think, like, three people in the universe have ever used the dresser at the hotel, right? Like, no one, no one does that because you keep your stuff in your suitcase, right? Maybe one person in the whole world has ever done that, right? Because you're there for a night and then you're gone, right? It doesn't make sense to, like, put your stuff in the drawer and then, like, take it all out again, right? You're just a guest in that space, right? But the passage is saying here that Paul is asking that God would cause Christ to, like, make himself at home in our hearts. That he would like dwell richly there, not just like be there as a passing guest, right? Or be there as a visitor, right? He's asking that God would cause by the power of the spirit for Christ to like settle down and feel at home in our hearts. Paul's praying for a deeper experience between Christ and his people and he yearns for that to happen, not just a surface level relationship, but an ever deepening kind of fellowship, right? So how does that happen, right? How does like the spirit cause Christ to settle down and live in our hearts? Well, I think the first thing that he does is like he actually enables us to believe in him, right? The Bible seems like, really clear over and over that like we don't just try harder to have faith or to believe in God. It says that the Spirit of God opens our hearts so that we would have the ability to believe in him at all. We don't just like try to believe more. We ask God to empower us to believe at all, right? That's different, right? And God doesn't just enable us to have faith in him or to put our hope and our faith in him, but he increasingly, ongoingly, empowers us to, to like live in light of that and to, and to have a deepening kind of faith in him. The word that's used for the power that Paul is asking about, right, 
is the same word that was used for the power that raised Christ from the dead back in chapter 1. You see, some power is dormant, right? Like a power in a battery, right? There's power there, but it's not really doing anything until you like plug it into something and you like release the power, right? Paul is saying here, like the Spirit of God is the one who releases the power in, of, like releases the power of Christ into our lives, that we would live differently and look differently and be different kinds of people, right? It's the Spirit of God that does that releasing of power, right? And what happens is, is that the Spirit empowers us to actually have faith, to actually believe who God is and what he's done, right? So like if I have a snowball in my hand and you think, you actually believe I'm going to chuck it at your head, then you will duck, right? Because like no one wants to get hit with a snowball in the face, right? If you don't believe I'm going to throw it, you're just going to be like, ha-ha, that's pretty funny. But your actions are not going to change, Right? Belief is not just a knowledge of something that's true. Faith is not just a knowledge of something that's true. Faith is like a belief that changes us. It changes our actions. It changes who we are, right? So it's the Spirit of God who empowers us to have faith in who God is and who he says he is and all that he's done, which leads to us living actually different kinds of lives, and it's the Spirit as well that empowers us to live that way, not just to want to live that way, right? Think of it like this, right? Let's say you have a, your car is sitting on the side of the road and you want to move it, right? So you go in, you take off the parking brake, you uh, move to the back of the car and you start, to, you start trying to push the car, right? And like if you're not on a giant hill, right? And if like maybe you have been doing some squats every once in a while or something, right? You can maybe start moving the car right? But it's like, it's going to take a long time to get to Florida that way, right? Like, you're not moving very fast. It's like incredibly difficult. You're not really going anywhere, right? Uh, there is an easier way, right? Like, your, your car, it has an engine. Like, stick, stick the key in, start it, right? Use the engine to get where you're going, right? I think that's the same way it is with us as we seek to have faith and believe and live in light of who God is, Right? You see, we have an engine. It's the Spirit of God. And we put the key in the ignition of that, right? By praying and listening to the Spirit of God so that we would know where to go, right? And we give the car some gas by like reading God's Word and pondering its truth so that we would like have the right fuel to get where we're trying to go, right? It's the Spirit of God who empowers us to be the people and to go the places that God longs for us to go. We can't do it on our own, right? It's not something we have the power to do. The, just as a side note, right, the fine print to that analogy, right, is that, like, uh, it's, it's a little more difficult than it sounds to just, like, stick the key in the ignition and just, like, go to town, right? The Bible talks about, like, that process of us like putting our faith in, in God and being empowered by the Spirit and believing those things and living in light of it. Like the Bible talks about that as a fight. Like it's a battle, it's a war that happens within us. So it's kind of like there's like a goblin like trying to hold your key like while you're trying to get in there, right? It's difficult, it's hard, right? To, to believe what is true about God. But it's the Spirit of God that empowers us to believe what is true about him and to live in light of that belief. Okay, we gotta keep moving, otherwise we're gonna be here too long, right? 
The other thing that Paul seems to ask for in this prayer is that he asks them, he asks about love, right? He asks God's, he asks God's, he asks, he asks God, wow, that was a tongue twister, right? To like change the way that they love, right? And first of all, it's a, a way that they love others, right? If, if we could like ask Paul, like, why do you want the spirit of God to empower faith in these people? Like, why do you want that, right? I think Paul would answer is like, I want that to happen so that they might be actually strengthened to love others and to love God. See, we need the Spirit's power and we need Christ's indwelling presence in us to enable us to love anyone. The passage uh, uses this analogy. He says, I want them to be rooted and established, right? He's using two analogies, right? He wants them to have deep roots and to have firm foundations. He's like, I want you guys to be like a tree who has incredibly deep roots into the soil around you. And I want you to be like a building, like Jeff is building, right? Like I want you to be like a building that has a, a really firm, good foundation so that no matter what kind of storms or things come about, that the building is not going to fall, but that it has very firm foundations, right? And the foundation, the place that the roots are built, all of that seems like that love is to be the soil which with their lives are to be rooted. Love is to be the foundation on which their life is to be built on. And it's, I think it's just like super important that we know it's like verse 18, right? It says, together with all of the Lord's people. I pray that together with all the Lord's people, you would understand that. Like, we talked about this last week. Like, following Jesus is not an, cannot be an isolated thing. It can never be just like you and God trying to like be cool with each other, right? It's God has created a new people who is the church, right? By which he is changing and moving and renewing and restoring all things, right? One commentator writes this, he says, the isolated Christian can indeed know something about the love of God, but, it's, but his grasp of it is bound to be limited by his limited experience. It needs the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. It needs all of the saints, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, young and old, black and white, all of the varied backgrounds and all the varied experiences so that we might fully understand who God is and his great love for us. And Paul's not just asking that they would love each other really good. He says, I pray that you desperately, I pray that you would know the magnitude of God's love for you. Why does he ask that? Like, why does Paul want them to know so badly how much God loves them? Perfect love casts out fear. That's why. So when you know how much you are loved, it changes your actions. When you know that God's love for you is not based on your performance or your actions or how great you do or how, how, how deeply you mess up, then you are able to have like a confidence that empowers you to live differently, like established in the love of God. Man, I want Emma to try to do lots of things. I want her to like, like just try lots of different kinds of things. And she's probably gonna be terrible at lots of different things, right? But I want her to like have like a joy and have like a confidence that no matter what the outcome of her endeavors is, my love for her and my view of her will never ever be changed or adjusted by her performance. Like I just love her because she's my, she's my little girl. 
That's never ever going to change no matter what she does or doesn't do. If we would understand the love of God, then that, like, that would really change how we lived and who we were. We need the Spirit of God to show that to us. The Bible says it's the Spirit of God that pours the love of God into our hearts. The only way that we know God's love for us is that the Spirit shows it to us. So man, if you like want to pray for one thing, like pray that the Spirit of God would like show you how awesome God's love is for you. Like that would, that would really dramatically change your life. Okay, let's wrap it up, right? Something's up. What is Paul asking for, right? I, I just wrote it this way. Paul is asking that the Spirit of God would empower us to be the people of God by showing us who God is and the image we're supposed to reflect. Paul is praying that the Spirit of God would empower us as his people to be the people of God by showing us who God is and what he's like so that we might reflect that back to the world and back to one another around us. Okay, so like, let's like bring it home, okay? We've been talking about prayer. We've been looking at Ephesians chapter three and, and thinking about what prayer is and what it isn't. So like, the word of God is supposed to change us. It's supposed to, we're supposed to be different people in light of it. So like, as we think about prayer, like, what should be different about how we pray in light of that, right? Well, one, I think like, how we pray should be rooted in, the, in like, a deep understanding that we're talking to our Father. When we pray, we're talking to our Father. Not just any Father, the best Father who is incredibly loving and rich and generous, who knows exactly what we need and has no, there's nothing keeping him from giving us what we need. We don't need to manipulate God. We don't need to like try to impress him with what we're asking for. Like just talk to him like a dad. I think secondly as well, like our prayers should like increasingly be not about us and more about him. Verse 21, I think just like really clearly articulates this, right? It says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Paul's praying that these things would happen so that God would get all of the glory forever. Think of it like this. If, if we think about like the church as a hospital, right? Just I think this analogy might just help make sense, right? If the church is a hospital established by God where his son Jesus is the only doctor, Right? And so God gets all of the glory in the hospital by all of the people being healed because of the work of the one doctor, Jesus, who restores everyone. If, if we read it like that, right? Ephesians, the verse 21 would read like this Glory to God then in the church, his hospital, and in his son Jesus, the surgeon. God wants all of the glory. And like the incredible thing is that. When we do anything in his power, then like that is what brings him glory. Right? When someone who is like in desperate need of surgery is healed by the surgery of the physician, right? 
Like, it's the glory of the physician that they fixed them, that they healed them. And their life and the fact that they exist and they're walking around in the world is a testament to who that physician is and what he's done. So it is for us with God, right? Our lives are a testament to like the healing and restorative work of King Jesus. And so we exist for him and for his glory. It's not about us, it's about him. See, prayer is not about us bringing our will into existence. It's about bringing God's will into existence. So how do you know, right, when you're praying about the stuff God wants you to pray about? Right? How do you know when you're praying about the stuff that God wants you to pray about? Well, one, like you're his kids, so like just talk to him, right? Like you don't need to like make sure you have all the right answers to the right test before you just go talk to him. Like just talk to him. He's your dad. He loves you, right? But secondly, like the best way to know that is like just read your Bible. Like if your heart starts lining up with the things that you're reading, if the things that, are, if like the desires that you see when you read the Bible are starting to become the desires of your own heart, like that's a good sign that you're gonna like know what to ask God. Like you're gonna know that the things you're asking him are like in line with his heart and his desires. Lastly here, I think it's just important for us to understand that like requests are just like one part of prayer, right? Like lame, really lame relationships are one-sided, right? Like if you have a friend that just is only asking for stuff from you, like that's a crappy relationship and you kind of like don't really want to hang out with that friend very often, right? Because like whenever they come around, you're like, okay, well, I don't know if I have any cash in my wallet, but like it's going to be gone by the time this friend is here, right? Like lame relationships are only one-sided, right? And so in prayer, it's not that we just ask God for stuff, but it's like we talk with him. It's a reorienting of our hearts around who he is. If you, if you want to like see a great picture of this, just like read Acts chapter four. Like, man, that is like the best picture of a group of people who are praying together, like orienting their hearts around God. We need to grow up spiritually, right? Increasingly, ongoingly. We don't have to be like, like veteran Christians when we've just been Christian for like a day or even like, it's like, a, it's like an ongoing growth. And like our lives should look increasingly different the older we are and the longer we've been following Jesus. And our conversations with God should look increasingly different the older we are and the longer we've been following Jesus, right? You don't just need to start at like sixth gear, right? Like you start at first gear and you grow and you work your way up, right? But it's in that process that our conversations with God should change, right? When we pray, maybe like start by like just telling God how awesome he is. Like, how much you love him, how incredible he is. Just, like, talk to him about, like, what you read in his word that, like, just stuck out to you or that was, like, incredibly encouraging or was something you needed to hear. Like, just tell him, like, why you love him or why you're thankful for him. Thank him for, like, what he's done for you and, and all of those kinds of things, right? It's our conversations with God that should increasingly become less just about us asking God to do stuff and more of a relationship in which we talk with him, right? It's not that we stop asking God to work or to move, like that would be crazy, but it's that it's increasingly, it's not just about us. 
not about bringing our wills or our experiences into existence, but it's like, God, I long that what you want to have happen would. I want that to happen. Use me to bring that about. Empower me so I would live for you and live like you so that the world might see who you are and what you're like. Lastly, I think, I'll close on this. We need to often ask for the Spirit to empower us to be the people we need to be. Like we just, we do not have the power on our own. We need the Spirit of God to empower us to be a new kind of people. To want the things that God wants, to live in light of those things, and to have any power to do it at all. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, and thank you that like we just get to talk to you. Yeah, God, I just pray that like the things that uh, I spoke about this morning, like I just pray that you would cause those to just like seep into our hearts, that our understanding of you would like increasingly um, grow and multiply, so that we might know you well, that we might love you and follow you and serve you, God. Pray these things in your good name, Amen.